everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode. This episode is sponsored by Rick Nugent. He has given away a free trial for anybody who is based on the Gold Coast and wants to do a trial run with him. Just mention the Express Yourself podcast. Hello and welcome to the Express Yourself podcast with Zane Masters and Andy Archie. Today we got a guest on the show, Brett Nugent. Brett Nugent. Yeah, thanks, my bro. Thank you for coming. Um, funny story: me and you met on the first men's medicine walk of two thousand and twenty. Was it two thousand and twenty, bro? Yeah. yeah. I went around the car park and introduced myself like I like to do. <laughs> I remember you there, and I'm like, "Yeah, bro." And it's good to see you fellas. You know, just keep growing into this space. It's like. With Tiamo and that, it's like, yes, brothers are taking that experience and using it to elevate the game. So, cheer. Yeah, 100, 100. Um, I'll get you to just give yourself a quick introduction, bro, who you are, what you do, and we'll get into it. All right. I don't know about quick, bro. <laughs> so, Brett Nugent, here we go. Uh, so, what, how old am I? I'm 48 years old now, approaching the big 5 Um I'm married, been married, just hit 12 years last weekend with my beautiful wife, Sylvia. Uh, a father of two, my son, Jackson, who's eight years old, and my beautiful daughter, Billie Jean. She's six. Um, Billie Jean. Billie Jean. <laughs> Billie Jean and Jackson. Yeah, you can kind of see a theme there. We'll yeah. dig into that later. Um, so, yeah, I'm a full-time personal trainer. Uh, operating out of EMF in Narang, an amazing gym. Uh, the first gym that I ever decided to become a personal trainer at is actually quite pivotal in me deciding to become a PT because of the layout of the gym and the, the amount of facilities. I was just like, it's time to be a PT. This is the gym. So, yeah, it was um, yeah a massive shift from my employee mindset of working for someone for 30 years actually step out on my own as a PT and be my own business, responsible for my income, responsible for for turning up and basically selling who I am and that I can help you add value to your life. Massive shift. So that happened. I'm coming up two years now. So still shifting through that space of you are responsible for your success. Um, yeah. Aside from that, man – Pretty active, laid-back Kiwi fella. Um, came over here. Oh, we're going to do the whole life story? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll jump, we'll jump, we'll jump into it. Jump in and stop me. <laughs> All right, bro. Um, I've known you for two years now. Yep, yep. And uh, you're a beautiful man. Killed it. You know, everything you. about you, the, the way you move. Um, the way you move. <laughs> the way you move. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just just who you are as a person is, is um, you know, you hold yourself with your head held high. Thank you, brother. And I enjoy your company. I've actually had the pleasure of training with you the last, I've had three sessions with you, mm-hmm. uh, which we will get into. Yes. <laughs> yes, bro, that's my jam. Uh, but before we come into the now, take us back into the past. Where, where, where did you grow up exactly and what was childhood like? Um, give us the... The origin story. The motion <laughs> of, of, of your life. 
Cool. Oh, man. Everyone's favourite subject is talking about themselves, so strap yourself in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, at the age of 48, I was born in 1972, born in Palmerston North, New Zealand, the Manu, uh, Manawatu. Um, grew up there with my mother and uh, a stepfather uh, and an older brother and younger brother, so there were three brothers there. Um, yeah, we... Had a pretty good childhood. I've, I definitely remember um, as a young boy being very insecure, not standing tall, not um, being true to myself and being feeling worthy as a little boy. I definitely remember wanting affirmations or confirmations from other people that you're okay, you're a cool kid. Uh, that... And I look back at that as to what that was and where those that lack of self-confidence came from. Uh, probably, definitely, the relationship with my stepdad was very distant. Um, we never really saw affection from the father figure in the household. There were, I don't remember much in the way of hugs, kisses, goodnights. The stuff that I do with my children is like... I kind of learnt how to be a father by seeing how I feel not to be a father. Um, but there's no, when I say no judgment, I have to, as you get older, you realise there's like the face value of that, but what's behind that story? What's what's your stepfather's story? And um, finding out that stuff, you have a whole new perspective on that situation. You know. Before you, before you continue, because I'm a, a stepfather myself, you touched on the lack of uh, nurturing, I guess you could say, yep. from a stepfather. I'm really interested in this before we move on. Mm-hmm. What uh, what would be, I guess, your your tips for someone who is a step parent um, as to what you wished you had experienced when you were younger as adolescent? Yeah, I mean, to not be a stepdad, I can't say you should do this and do that. But as a as a father, I try to do everything that I probably wasn't given as a child. And especially as a, a father to a man and, and to a daughter, that a boy looks up to see how a man acts as a father. To try to show leadership in a nurturing way. To plant good seeds in a boy's brain about, well, with any child, self-pride, self-confidence. Um without being too soft on them. But for a stepdad, there may be that struggle of connection purely because of there's not that uh, paternal link or DNA link with your child. But it really comes back to, I think, um, realising that with a child you've got someone's entire life here in your hands and you're you can mould them. You can... Take this child, plant seeds, and in 20, 30 years, where will those seeds have developed? So I would just say know that every day is a chance to teach your child something that they will eventually pass on to their children, to the people around them, and that I constantly say this, and even though I'm not 100% perfect at it, but you are the example, and it's best to be the example rather than show the example or talk tell the example so for me 
Um, I think in my journey as a father, there's been lots of touch as in connection, hugs, kisses, to know that uh, a man and another man or boy can share this space safely, that intimacy is a massive exchange of information, that there doesn't need to be distance because you're masculine and I'm masculine. There needs to be respect like anything and if the moment is right, then you be in a, in a state of love and show that with connection, touch, physical touch. And I feel, I think with my father, that was a no-go zone. It was just the way he was taught. Affection is not shown physically with your child. It was more well done verbal, which is a massive, it's missing a massive component in that relationship. Touch, physical touch, um, assurance, knowing that they're safe and with your, with you in the same space. I still remember sitting in the lounge with my stepdad and I'd be six, seven years old and he'd be watching the races and he'd be sitting in his chair and I'd be on the couch and there was no communication. It was just there and I'd say something and I'd be, what's the word? Oh, yep, all right, we'll do that. So I'd get some sort of feedback, but it was never come and sit by me, come sit on my lap. There was never that. Come close. We're in the same room. I'm your father. Come close. Be as close as you can, which is a massive disconnect for a boy to learn about how to how to be with your children. So in that respect, I guess I've flipped the script that whenever I'm with my son or my daughter, they're watching TV and I'm watching TV, sit next to each other. It's a massive, I think, lesson just in that DNA being close in that proximity. Um, yeah, so connection is what I would suggest to a step, uh, step parent, physical, mental, don't be afraid to be affectionate and, and pull back and look at the bigger picture. You might be in a fight or a disagreement, but what is that teaching that child in 20, 30 years? So yeah, you're playing with someone's brain, which is eventually going to steer them through life. And, you know, it comes back to the seeds you plant within their brain. So it's a highly important role. And it's easy to forget, oh, yep, I'm a parent. I'm with work, I'm with this, I'm with that. But ideally, you're moulding people's lives every day. Mm. Mm. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you going into that because, as I shared, being a step-parent, um, and and like like you shared, you're not, not having that maternal um, yep. connection I know there's always definitely room for improvement for myself and I'm sure for everyone else that you know with the way that the world is now not many families are together mm. not many mum and dads are together um, a lot of people are raising other people's children uh, so I thought that was important for us to touch on and, and gain some life experience that you've gone through that, that you experienced yeah. so yeah for yeah. me movement physical touch um and even th even through movement training, which we'll talk about later, being down at their level that you're not talking to your child from, you know, six foot up in the air with this higher ground, sit down on the floor or squat down and have an eye-to-eye -eye with your five-year-old. Oh, I love that. Changes the dynamic of the conversation. And I've done it when I know I'm about to discipline my child, like whatever they've done that if you're standing over them going, ah, don't do that, 
I want you to go to your room and have a think about it. And you've got this higher ground mentality that I'm taller than you, I'm standing over you. I have the, the upper hand in this situation. But you come down to their height and instantly in this position, something changes in your brain to say, okay, I, it's hard to tell someone off when they're level-headed with you or even worse, they're up there and you're trying to discipline them. So play with that um, fundamental of communication where you are in space with your child, mm. you know. Even lie down on your stomach and then try and discipline your child. And you'll see this is weird. Something's changed here. This is totally different to how I saw it when I was a kid. So, yeah. I, I do that with my youngest girl. I always come down when she's been disciplined mm. and I come right down to her height get her on my knee or whatever, awesome. and, and have her look at me. So now look at me. Not in an aggressive way, but just so mm. she can see the, the interaction. But you gave me a, a big tool that I'm going to implement now to do that all the time with everything, not just Everything with praise, discipline. Yep. Yeah. with encouragement, with discipline. Just their world is three feet high. And they, they see a big couch, they want to jump up on it. It's like an obstacle to us. We sit down on it. So they've got a different perspective on everything. And if you can get down to their level, you'll see that they spend 24-7 there. And then this is where this primal movement stuff is me hanging out down there. And it's like, man, those ceilings look way up there. Cool. So you start thinking differently purely from your, your location, I guess you could say. So, yeah, play, play with that stuff with your kids too and – yeah, we'll talk about play and movement <laughs> and kids, bro, because that was just a. I, I didn't mean part. to throw you off your tracks. So I just oh, was yeah, really curious. I lost that where are we? It's like, oh, I need to dive into that right now. I can take that right now. Um, but you were talking about your relationship with your stepfather when you were growing up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think with that, uh, that distance was like a definitely, I think, a feeling of why am I not. Um, uh, what's the word? Why am I not feeling this self-worthiness? Because it hasn't been installed in me and I can't find it at home. So I'd go to school and try to find it in my friends. Like, hey man, here's a joke. Oh, you're a funny guy, Brett Nature. You're funny. And humour and funny was a big part of me fitting in. That was my my entry point to meeting people was seeing how, if I, did they smile at that comment? Cool, keep going in that direction. So I was a bit of a joker. Um, sport was another good thing. So I was active throughout my whole schooling years, did some type of sport. And for me, that was a great way for me to, to sort of stand out. So if Brett got the top score in the cricket team today, it's like, cool, I feel a sense of worth. Awesome. Um, but yeah, when I say that about my stepfather, um, there were times he was there on the sideline playing soccer. He's like, good boy. Yep, get in there. But it was that a, it was a quick affirmation. Good, now do this. So, oh, yeah, cool. So he's laying down the law. And then my mum, who was my birth mum, was just saturating me in love. <laughs> so I was definitely a mama's boy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, we I was, are. yeah. <laughs> in that respect, I was very lucky to have a mother that probably saw the, the lack of, father-son engagement and I guess tried to make up with it with motherly love mm. so yeah mum's um yeah she's been my uh she's 
I like to say she's the one that taught me how to be a man. Mm. Yeah. Rather than my stepfather. But I don't want to paint too bad a picture with him. It was the 80s. It was those times when men worked hard, went to the pub, provided for the family, and a lot's changed in 30 years. Mm. Yeah. So I guess from there, that would probably lead to me wanting to leave home ASAP. So 16, I was out of there, <laughs> flatting. Um, I think I was you know, working at Macca's. Uh, actually, when I say got out of home, I think I was back in there in six months when you learn about paying rent and bills. <laughs> <laughs> I even still remember flatting, going to live with uh, my best mate. We got a flat and mum still came over and picked up my washing and brought it back folded. Cheer mum. <laughs> that was her connection to make sure I was still all right. Uh, and then moved home and then eventually moved out again and then I think stayed out of home for the the long run. But in, in a... You know, you've got to say home was always there. You're never going to get, oh, you've moved out, you're not coming back. So it was always a safe haven to move back to. And then, um, yeah, throughout my years in Palmy was definitely, I guess, without a direction as a teenager. There was work, work at Macca's, make some money, get drunk, boogie your ass off because I love dancing. I was a massive Michael Jackson fan. So that was my time to shine on the dance floor like John Travolta <laughs> and um, just keep doing it. And that was it. And years, years went by of make money. I just sort of looking at the next week, next weekend. That was it. It wasn't a long-term, a long-term plan. Short-term gratification as a teenager, which is, it's kind of like in your DNA, I think, unless you get shown, Invest some good time now while you're young mm. because everything gets harder the older you get. And if you can build a foundation in your teens and 20s, man, when you're 40, 50-something, you will reap those rewards massively. So, you know, kudos to all those that are leaving school and going to university, um, investing in themselves and their future selves. Um, for me, my big change came when I was 26 and I finally left Palmerston North to come to Australia. Yeah, 1999, St. Patrick's Day. That's <laughs> when it all sort of flipped. Like, oh, yep, we're in another country now. Had a few friends. Uh, and luckily, Trent, who was a school friend of mine from Palmerston North, it was well established over here. And he put me up for, I think, six months before his firstborn came along. And then, um, yeah, my journey of 21 years now in Australia began. Well, wow, so you really moved to Australia in the, the peak of oh, – where, where were you living? Were you living in the Gold Coast? Yeah, straight to Goldie. Oh, wow. Oh, so, wow. yeah, yeah, you lived in Gold Coast during the prime time of – prime time Gold Coast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, I, through those first few years, there's quite a healthy Palmerston North population over here. It was really good to sort of meet someone and, oh, bro, things over here. Hey. And it was just constantly – Yep, they got out of Palmy. They got out of Palmy. <laughs> I feel you. We made it. So, yeah, that was um, – but, again, I even think still in my 20s, well, I know for a fact I was still lost inside looking for something, you know. Wasn't secure in who I was, needed other people to sort of validate that I'm an okay person, which is a shame in your 20s because those patterns just carried on even into my 30s. 
you know, I was finding more about myself and what I was capable of, but was still seeking these friends to say, Brett Nugent, he's he's a cool guy. And it, and it, yeah. And I kind of feel now in my 40s, I'm like where I want to be. Like, it's cool if you don't like me. Mm. I know I'm doing pretty well. So, yeah, that's, I want that put in my kids ASAP. You know you're right. You know you're good at this, eh, son? Yeah, and this, and this, and this. You're funny. So tell them these things when they're young. Affirm it at home, and they'll believe it through their whole lives. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's Yeah, that's awesome advice, too. I think, like, <clears throat> I always sort of knew, like, I was grounded in myself, but like you said, it, bro, it didn't really start blossoming until, like, the last couple of years, man, you know? Okay. Um. <laughs> lots of lots of mistakes trials you know as, as you do and i just like what you said there you know try and affirm that to your children asap bro because mm. that's important eh, for them to be grounded in who they are so that when they leave your world and your home they go out into the big world they know who they are yep. you know so yeah that's massive bro yeah bro they're all tools tools for survival yeah and if you can give them those ones like for me a trait to have self-pride everything else should fall into place yep if you're good with who you are it doesn't matter if people don't like you cool but on a different vibration carry on keep challenging yourself and and testing out the self-pride put yourself in situations where you may feel a bit um shaky and go that's all right i'm standing on my two feet i know who i am yeah and you see that in kids especially i think I'm going to put this in here. Was it two years ago? My boy, who's eight now, so six years old, end of, was it end of school or an assembly, and he got an award for um, being a great student or whatever, right? And these students went up in front of the whole school. And I remember when I was a little boy, standing in front of the school was like terror. Oh, my God, the whole school's going to see me. So I'd be eyes down, looking up, eyes down. He got his award. I wasn't there, but my wife uh, filmed it. And he's up there pointing to his friends, smiling. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, right. yeah 300, awesome. 400 people in front of him and he's chin up, seeing his posture. Good, smiling, joking, pointing. That's it, my boy. That's it. Yeah. And even still, I struggle with standing in front of groups of people. It's just another pattern that I've still got to keep going in there, coming out. Oh, I felt uncomfortable, but I'm alive. Mm, yep. Do it again. And this is where PT has been a massive avenue to test those waters. Mm. It's all childhood wounds, eh? They're all childhood wounds that, that yep. play out as adults. Um, there's, I mean, there's levels and layers and layers to this shit. Yep. I remember a year and a half ago, two years ago, standing in front of people and speaking, shit, I'd chip myself just a thought of that. And now it happens all the time. Not not massive groups of people, but big enough groups to throw anybody off. Mm. And uh, just constantly immersing yourself in the discomfort has been a big tool. Repetition is the mother of skill. Mm. And and I think now with studying the brain and, and what goes on hugely into neuroplasticity and changing structures of the brain is that – Oh, yeah, here's my elevated heart rate. Oh, here's my core temperature rising. And now you can start seeing those things rather than being uh, 
a victim of them. Like, oh, fuck, my heart's beating. Oh, man. It's your turn coming up, bro. It's your turn coming up. And then he go, I, I sort of sit, yep, there's the thumping chest. There's the blood. And then I just try to change what I'm thinking. It's like, here's probably another time for you to express yourself. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the moments where you start attracting people. Like, I found you fellas through men's medicine. And who knows what part of that day was like, oh, that's Brett Nugent. Might catch up with him later. Um, yeah, these little opportunities of anxiety, they can be crushing or elevating. Mm. And once you start learning that, oh, yeah, I'm nervous, cool. It's time to use this moment to get better or get more comfortable with who I am in front of people. Yeah. I sound like I could still talk awesomely in front of people, but I can't. But I think I just hide it well. <laughs> yeah. I hide it better. Well, I've seen you speak in front of a big group of us, and I felt as if yeah. you seemed fairly confident. Yeah, it's funny. It's just the brain chattering away. But then you know, I think the sooner you learn to talk from the heart, everyone just feels the, the, the genuine, the, the person that you are. Mm. Yeah. You're not putting up a front and that's you know that's where I sort of think of even postural things am I talking with shoulders forward chin down was it chin up solar plexus out it's going to be a massive change in your delivery of words purely from that so body position breath <laughs> if you've got the power to control that breath just like that and control the whole whole room with your breath I love seeing people who stand there and go Everyone's waiting for a word, but they've got the self-confidence to just settle their breath and then speak. That's that's mana. Mm. That's so uh, keyed in. Like, I need a moment here. I don't care if you're watching, waiting, and it's making this a little awkward. The breath. Hākiroto, hākiwaho. And that just shifts everything. Mm. I love it so and I'm still trying to do that. When I'm in a group fitness class, it's, all right, here we go. We've got this one. You've got to keep that energy up. But I can feel as I turn away, oh, fuck, I'm doing breath. Mm. Yeah. The breath. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. 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 <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yep. Stop and take a breath. Or I wanted to, um, uh, you said something earlier. You and um, you worked a job for 30 years. Is that right? Oh, I basically have been in jobs where oh, yeah, no. I was an employee yeah, 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 yeah. for 30 years with an employee mindset I yeah. see now. Yeah. How was that? Take us through that transition from the nine to five working for somebody yeah. into uh, yeah. the 4.30 when Andy comes in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've done, done the night shift thing, bro. So bad for the body and brain. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I spent... Nine years at Macca's, or maybe ten. Oh, I was 10. I got a gold ring. Wow. <laughs> Macca's gold ring. I still got that. Got to melt that down. No. Um, <laughs> so there was um, the time you put in, the money you get back was just that time for money thing instilled for, you know, the first 10 years of my working life. Not thinking outside of that as in being creative, creating something and then letting it make money for you, like a product or a service or this entrepreneurial thought pattern never really occurred to me. 
uh, came to Australia back into a factory job. So it's basically production line. So I worked in a cabinet making factory for eight years there. Uh, did well. I elevated sort of through the ranks, became a foreman. This is at Vision Cabinets from 99 to 07. Um, so I was successful in there, I guess you could say. Um, my leadership skills sort of came out. So I'd have people that would do what I say and I'd tell them in a nice way to do it. So um, And that took me into night shift there. Um, and then it was 07 where I just knew there was, I th okay, it was the money. So me and a bro went to a seminar about doing the FIFO life, fly and fly out, right? This is 07, went up to Brisbane. And this person talked about getting in the mining industry. This is what it's like. You're going to sleep in these dongers, whatever avenue you go down. It's probably going to be 12-hour days, 14-hour days. You'll be away from your family. At that stage, didn't have any kids. It was just me and my wife. Uh, so came away from there and then started sending out my resume online to some people and wasn't long after that I got into the mines as a driller's offsider, so exploration drilling. Oh, yep, check. So, uh, Horrible yeah. job. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think with any job, it's the mindset you take into 100%, it. 100%, yeah. yeah. You know, oh, cool, awesome money, which was obviously the draw card for a lot of people in the mining industry. But, um, yeah, went into that job... Just wanting to, I guess, make good money, learn something, hopefully get lead to a trade because I hadn't got a trade in anything or qualification in anything. Um, and, yeah, that was such a tough period. The first year, two years, just not knowing anything, not knowing all these people, being out in the middle of the bush, mm. not getting home to your house. It's a massive change of what a job is um, and I definitely struggled a lot and I think even through the years of even being competent in the job moving up from an offsider to a driller and I guess becoming um, uh, skilled at the job eventually got certificate three and four in drilling became trade certified but was again in a job that there was no passion for I was there for the money and that started breaking me down when I was away from the kids came along. So I'd be away from the kids in a job that you're locked into because the money's so good. You're used to a certain lifestyle. You're making these sacrifices to have a better life. Nice house. So we got a house built. Awesome. Um, yeah, the, the golden handcuffs, they call it. I can't get out of this job because it pays me so well and I'm used to this lifestyle. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of struggles, uh, personally being away from the family, waking up, you know, sleep deprived, you've had beers the night before, you're dehydrated, going to a job where you're responsible for offsiders and anyone in the mining industry will know health and safety is just everything. Liability is everything. If someone hurts himself on your site, the site gets shut down and massive massive but investigations begin mm. and i had a i had a couple of incidents where things went wrong brought massive waves of anxiety you're the driller you're the foreman of that site what happened and it was basically like sitting down with a light on you like the gestapo what happened at 220 good what happened at 225 and you're basically 
going through the whole thing, reliving it to see what happened, what the cause could be. And it could be an equipment failure or a personnel failure, but um, that brought massive anxiety, massive anxiety. Um, and through that, I still remember coming home, which is a time to connect with the family or the wife and be relaxed. But I'd be sitting at lunch with the wife and I'm just, something's wrong, darling. I'm just, I'm not even relaxed on my time off. I'm just nervous. Anxiety is so high through work for weeks on end, I can't chill out back at home. What was your roster like during that time? Uh, the main one was two weeks on, one week off for a few years. Um, but that five, uh, seven days off typically worked out to five days because you had travel days either end. So, yeah, what's that? 21 days, pretty much five days at home. And then it eventually went to two and two after a lot of family men sort of put their hand up to say, hey, we want more time. Can we get a two and two? So it's an even roster. And that came through. was a way better lifestyle. Mm. Um, but, yeah, like I said, coming home and not feeling comfortable in your own house with your own family, that led me to seeing a psychologist. Wow. So I was fortunate enough to be put through to a psychologist. I didn't do it through work. I saw my GP. He referred me to a guy, and I'm so glad it went that way, uh, Dr. David Haynes. So this was about 2015, I think. And he could see I loved my fitness. I was still keeping up fitness. That was my medicine throughout the mining days, even on the crappiest days where things went wrong and you're getting a boss ringing you going, what happened out there? Why didn't you get these meters? What's going on? And you're sitting in your room going, oh, man, I've got to do it all again tomorrow, and I feel like crap. Go to the gym and just use that that time to take my brain off everything that was going on. Uh, and he, first session, sat me down, and we went through the anatomy of the brain. And it was so cool because I love learning about the body, the anatomy. And then he explained to me about these two little almonds that are on right in the middle of your brain on the left and right-hand side called the amygdala. And they're called amygdala because that's the Latin word for almonds. And they are your fight-flight sort of senses. So if there's trouble, they light up and they tell the brain, we need adrenaline because there's a tiger chasing us. So these are these little almonds. But as a child, if you're five years old and someone goes, boo, that can set off the amygdala, right? It's a fun joke, whatever. But all of a sudden, the sensitivity of that amygdala has now gone up a level and they actually grow bigger and bigger the more the child's mind is um, exposed to stressful situations, right? And this can lead to being highly on edge as an adult. So I'm like, oh, man, that explains a lot, right? So from my childhood, not feeling comfortable at home, sitting at the dinner table with mum here, my stepdad here, and he's talking to my younger brother, who was his uh, paternal son. And I would talk to mum and it was just night after night of this communication here. It was never like a, a family thing. Uh, I, <laughs> that brought on another habit, eating fast so I could leave the dinner table, which is not a healthy habit. Um, so, yeah, just to be exposed to the brain and its functions and how those first eight years of being a child mould the brain. It shows how powerful that that can lead to 20, 30 years anxiety and depression. Because all these thoughts and stress responses up here dictate your quality of life. So, yeah, man, when he talked about that, I was like, this is the man talking about the body. There's a, 
is something in your brain setting this off. It's not your heart. It's your heart that's saying you're a good person, but your brain's telling you, ah, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You need to please your bosses more. You need to do more. Um, yeah, man. So through my psychology, I learn about breath, anatomy, anxiety, and mindfulness. Pulling back from your brain instead of being stuck in here. And he made a great analogy. Even though you're sitting here with me, imagine you're sitting up in the corner of the room looking down on yourself. It's kind of what mindfulness, mindfulness is, is observing how you think and how you act and then choosing, is those, are those the thoughts that I want? Yeah. So thoughts and brain, bro, I love it, neuroplasticity. That those structures that were built as a kid can be broken and rewired, but you've got to channel your attention to your thoughts, every thought. Be the foreman of your work site. Oh, man. I think I just pissed that person off. You know what? I don't need that thought right now. It's not serving me. You can leave. And then even though you got 50,000 thoughts in a day, just exercising it helps you filter things. And I love that you've got the choice to do that or you just can be a victim to your thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being the observer. Yeah. <laughs> An observer of the mind rather than the consumer of the mind. Yep. Neuroplasticity, Joe Dispenza. Yeah. Yeah, bro. I want to go into just touching the mining a little bit before we move forward. I love that, you know. I, I was a um, drilling offsider as well, driller's offsider as well. And uh, I did it for six months. I struggled, bro. I struggled big time. Having two children, two different mothers, um, not really being steady within myself as it was, mm-hmm. being in isolation, mm-hmm. exploration drilling as well, not knowing when I was coming home, uh, being told I might be coming home this time and, and not actually going home, having to deal with conflict while I was there. Um, like we were so isolated, bro. We were flying in and out of helicopter, which I'm sure you've experienced. I haven't done the helicopter one, but I know about those sites. But, you know, you could fly into a town that's got a little airport strip and then you're off for a four-hour drive into the middle of the bush. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's no phone reception out here. That's it. I was, I was in Karanara. Oh, yep. And uh, in Arnhem Land. And there was nothing. Like, there was a little satellite that gave us really crappy yep. reception. Um, and I struggled, man. I, I, I really struggled. I didn't know when I was going to see my kids. There was no alcohol there. There was a dry camp, so I couldn't bathe myself and um, yep. suppressing my emotions and my thoughts. The, the numbing agent of alcohol. Mm. And I, I found that everyone that was in there was just looking for their way out of there. Yep. And it, prior to that, being told by friends, you know, the mining life is, is, may seem like it's all this, but you go into the mines, you might be there for four weeks and come out for two weeks if you're lucky or, or, or one week and then you're trying to re-establish your relationship again and by the time it gets to where it was before you left, it's time to go again. Yeah. And uh, I struggled, man. I struggled big time and I know a lot of people that do go on the mines, they have this idea that it's going to be this amazing lifestyle to only find out that it's, it's more of a single man's game. Yeah. 
and you can either look at it if I was <clears throat> you know with, with the frame of mind that I have now which I wouldn't do because I've got children and, and a beautiful fiance if you can go into that world with the intention of self uh, exploration it's actually a perfect oh, a yeah. perfect place to explore eh? exactly and I think because I was in the mining industry when I was seeing the psychologist that I'd come back and say, oh, man, last hitch was tough. The driller was in a bad mood because of something going on. But him and the other, and the offsider, other offsider, whatever, they're really chummy. And I constantly felt like this third wheel on a work site, mm-hmm. which is an ugly <clears throat> feeling when it's day after day after day. And he would say, Brett, you don't know what's going on. Maybe they're finding comfort in each other because they've got situations so bad at home that this is their holiday where you cannot wait to get back home because you love your family so much. And there was plenty of guys out there that were like, oh, get away from the wife and kids. You know, it was like a holiday, which is sad. But for me, it was the other way around. My heart was broken every time I hopped on that train. And to, to start pulling back and going, oh, those two are sort of hanging out and they're sort of excluding me from conversations. It's okay. They're finding comfort in each other that I need to be comfortable with myself. And it, it was so good to have them around in those times to say, Brett, you may be alone, but these are good times for you to check your breath, see how you're standing, what are your thought patterns. And I was like, bro, thank you. So, yeah. Mm. Amazing education from that man from 10 sessions of psychology mm. it's great i think everyone needs a psychologist eh? Mm-hmm. yeah it's, well it's, i think with all the services that are being provided now with like men's medicine and that that the space is being made available for people to step into but it's not framed as psychology like to use breath work is basically getting oxygen to your brain so you're not thinking fast thoughts with no oxygen because then it just starts this momentum. And to give skills in that, and then to look at nature, so the walks, there's an instant, um, what's the word, something that calms you down, nature, slows down time. And these walks, they they are just as powerful, and depending on the psychology's delivery, these walks are doing way more. Mm. So, you know, kudos to men's medicine, mm. and anyone else in that space that's providing... Uh, yeah, just room for people to pull back and look at themselves, be rich in oxygen, in nature, just get back to a, a simpler life. Uh, yeah, it's good. So you survived the mines? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was quite fortunate, and I think there was definitely some law of attraction stuff. Getting up to, where was I, eight, nine years of mining industry, um, just putting it out there, I think there was a time where we lost the contract or something and they were starting to get rid of a few of the newer people, the staff. And then I'm like, do you know if they're trying to get rid of any drillers? Because you'd get a payout if you were asked to leave. (laughs) And it's like, I could put my hand up and say, you know what, I've had enough. I want to go spend time with my family and you get your holiday pay and that was it. But to actually get asked to leave, a redundancy, you got a decent payout. Yeah. So, um I just put it out there. I was asking around to the bosses and they're like, I'm not sure if they get rid of, rid of drillers yet, Brett. And then within three three uh, hitches of me sort of doing that, 
the day before I was about to fly back to work, I get a phone call from the boss and he's like, hey, mate, um, yeah, the contract didn't come through. Uh, we're going to have to let you go. And I was like, you know what, bro? I think I've been asking for that to happen. You know, I've got a – my son was three, my daughter was one. And then he told me the payout and I'm like, you know what, bro, I'll take the money. Yup, cheer. Sweet, lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> and that was it. That was the end of my career in the mining industry, 2016. So, yeah, that was nice to get a little little going away present. Mm. Yeah. And, and where did you become connected to movement from there? So it was probably just at the end of my mining career. So I'd done CrossFit from 2010 to about 2015 and had a, when was it, 2014? I had a spinal injury. So I herniated two discs in my lower back and I had to stop everything. So it was causing nerve pain down my leg. I'd be walking and then uh, like electricity shooting down my leg and even to the groin was terrible. And purely from this um, deadlift that I was rushing through and it caused this herniation. So after that, I started looking at, man, CrossFit's awesome. I love it. But there's this constant push. Hurry up. Get before the time is done or get these reps done. And um, I was just looking for something different. And then I remember going to a Working at Heights uh, accreditation thing somewhere on the Goldie. And I actually met a dude called Sean, who now, I believe, runs About Life CrossFit. And I sat next to him because I saw him with an F45 shirt on. I'm like, oh, shit, brother's into fitness. I'll go sit next to this guy. Started chatting. And he showed me a little video clip of Ido Portal, who's the movement coach of Conor McGregor. Right? Teaches him how to move well for his UFC fights. For yeah, bro, that's it, man. Just moving well, playing instead of you know chasing the clock. And I sort of looked into it a bit more after that, and I got onto a website called GMB Fitness, uh, Ryan Hurst, and they'd taken the principle of movement as being exercise, but there were no numbers, no reps, no sets. It's just about seeing what your body can do, and they started with um, these primal movements, the frogger, the bear, and the monkey. So I started doing it. I remember doing it actually out in the mines during on work sites. I'd be showing the guys and they're like, Nugent, what are you doing? <laughs> like, bro, this is it, man. You feel feel how I'm moving like a little kid? And they go, bro, you're not a little kid. Being yeah. a driller too, they would have had to oh, have exactly. the respect too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, he's a driller, we've got to look after him. Yeah, yeah, that, that hierarchy out there. Oh, yeah, yeah whatever. Because um. <laughs> <laughs> if you're offside, are you just... Ridiculed. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a class system out there if you're an offside. I rock, yeah. But I was I was never one of those drillers. Well, not never, but I tried not to be one of those drillers that just talked down to an offsider. Um, yes, yeah, so I started exploring it there. And then um, getting out of the mines, I got a, a job at Maritimo in the boat building industry. Another factory job. And there was definitely this comfort zone. Get told what to do clock on, clock off, go home. And I was like, oh, here I am again. But we're just doing this to get out of the mines and be home. Going home every night to see my kids was massive. It was beautiful. And then um, started using the smoko time and the lunch time to sort of shoot over to the park and really push this movement stuff. And then I, I think it was about a year into it. A great thing 
with that job was I could wear headphones and listen to podcasts all day. So it was like eight hours of podcasts, sanding, spray painting, listening to Joe Rogan and all these other ones. And then there were plenty of ones talking about, you know, getting towards your goals. Just start, just start, you know, like you guys have done with this podcast. Just start. Don't have to see the end goal, just start. So I, this is when I started this, my grassroots movement movement um class i guess you could say at pacific pines once a week it was kind of like a, a a boot campy thing that was based around primal movement and then i'd bring in my crossfit stuff as well but um yeah i had a core group of guys three or four guys that would come to that not every week but it was kind of like a precursor because i'd done my cert three and four while i was in the mines and here i was with cert three and four as a pt i knew i had to use it so i said okay once a week i'll do this class so that went for about a year and there was some times where i turned up and i was there and i'm like oh man do i keep going with this then other times where a couple of guys would turn up and i could see they were really responding to this primal movement stuff seeing them move well on the ground and um so i kept it up and then it was 2019 that I started reaching out to Jim's Jets Snap saying, I think I want to give this personal trainer thing a go. Purely because the factory job was like, ah, just, it was crushing my soul. Mm. There was no way to express yourself. There was no <laughs> way to be creative in the job. It was just, here's the job and do it. And, you know, so many people get caught in that. And I understand why, because financial security is a great thing when you have a house and family. Um, but listening to a lot of podcasts that I had a lot of, I guess, life skills that I could share with people and the personal trainer arena was a great place to do it. So I think it was May, 2019, I applied at EMF, sent them an email and then they said, yep, come in next day. The gym opens in two months, come and meet the rest of the team. And I went and met them and they're like, awesome. Welcome aboard. I'm like, am I a personal trainer now? And they said, you're in the team, buddy. And I was like, <laughs> uh okay and i kind of went in there with the the view of i'm going for a job like i hope they like me but as a personal trainer you're paying rent you're basically bringing your business to this rooftop mm. and you're going to operate it under here there's no clock on clock off you can do as much or as little hours as you want so wow that was a massive change so i went in there and for me that was my chance for my social butterfly to just go How's it going, bro? How's it going? Hey, man, how's it going? How's the training? How you guys? You good? Yeah, good. Have you ever had a primal movement? And just that first year was just connecting with people, networking. Um, it was amazing. But along with that, you've got to pay the bills. And that was where I really struggled, where my attachment to money was 30 years of an hourly rate. And that was not going to work in the PT um, business. I can't ask for $30 an hour or 40. I've got to find something that I, I had to value myself basically financially, that this is what I can offer you over an hour, but knowing that I would give them more outside of that hour, messaging, texting, giving them skills to maybe help them improve their lives. So the, and I still am pushing through those barriers of what do you charge? What is an hour with Brett Nugent worth? Um, so yeah, it's 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 an awesome space. Having your own business, man, you can do what you want. 
and you've just got to continually learn from mistakes and things that work and continually challenge yourself. The men's medicine workshop I did where all you fellas turned up, that was like probably one of the best highlights even today of my PT career to stand up there and show 30 men from Australia and New Zealand that had come together that this is what I do when I come here and took you all through that primal session and it was like, man, you fellas did the haka for me at the end and it's like, oh, I'm meant to be here. This is huge. It never happened in that factory job. I've just completely thrown myself to the, the whim of the universe and amazing things happen. Yeah. I remember that very clearly. There was uh, about 30 of us, eh? Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> Didn't seem like it, bro. You were in your presence. You were holding your ground strong. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was the first time I'd ever done primal movement. I'd seen it before. I had a, had a friend back home who was doing primal movement. It was the first time I experienced it. And there was something you, you shared. It was along the lines of um, being able to move like this, to be able to move with your children. And explained on how these movements played. Yeah. And I had a one one year old at that time. Oh, so wow. it was instantly just a light bulb. So okay. This is cool. Yeah. Like I need I need this in my life. And it took me a year to get there, but I got there. <laughs> <laughs> bro, the seed was planted. Yep. Just had to wait for it to come to the surface. Bro, I remember watching your stuff, like Andy, on um Instagram, like, you know, after we, we met. Mm. And I was like, that's amazing, but my body's not going to do that. So I just sort of was like, appreciate it from a distance, eh? And it wasn't until I started um my this year with my stretching journey and connecting into my body and then coming to do that um that session with you, me and Andy. Bro, the way I move on the ground now, like just from that one session, Bro, awesome. crazy. Like, I done that one session with you, and I had to think a lot. And then the next time I tried it, I didn't really have to think, bro. Like the pathways had been, like, they were there. And I just was moving. And it was just like firing, you know. And I've gotten better since. <laughs> it's such a good uh, tool to have that you've now got a way to stretch, move, yeah. and ultimately change what you're thinking and feeling. Mm. And, you know, There's so many ways to do that. But for me... The movement stuff was me going to the park and oh, today was frogger day. So I do froggers, which sounds like you just hop around doing froggers, but there's so many ways to do it, to breathe differently, to put your hands differently, put your feet together or apart and just exploring what this deep squat position where you can go to. Can I go from sitting down to squat? How would I do that? Or squat to standing? How would I do that? And is there a different way to do it? And this is where the whole exploration of it comes into it, that there's no rules, there's no right or wrong way. You might even invent something. Like I think I played around with the kicksit six months ago and I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do what I call a rotating kicksit. I'm like, man, should I copyright that? I don't know. But it's just sitting down and playing with movement and it's pretty much what kids do, especially when you're learning to walk or learning to crawl, a baby's figuring out, they see us walking around, well, I want to get around like you fellas, so we get up onto the knees, and then, oh, we're mobile, we can crawl, cool.
cool. They just figured it out. No one showed them, yep, bring your knee up, yep, because they, they're just watching and they're learning. And then they get to explore movement and they get up to standing and they figure out the balance stuff and then all of a sudden walking second nature. But if you show them other ways to move, same thing, their brain's going to go, oh, let's give that a go. And I think as we get old, we get stuck in these patterns. I don't, I don't do forward shoulder rolls. I'm 48 years old. Well, I'm that 48-year-old guy who says, I love forward shoulder rolls. And then I go into a kick sit, and then I'll do a burpee into a push-up, and I'm taking all these movements to see how I can stack them. And it's just been such a cool tool to have with my kids that I can interact with them on, with movement, using that as our language mm. and seeing how how they respond to it and even oh, so many times where I've just sat out playing on my mats and they're inside watching TV and I don't even focus on them and they'll start coming up. They'll pull away from the screen and they'll just try and do what daddy's doing. And that's beautiful. And when you see that from afar and go, okay, so I'm not asking them to do it, but they do it anyway. It's a perfect thing of lead by example. So movement has been an awesome, you can call it a fitness modality, but for me it's a way to express myself. Mm. How many times have I said that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you look at a dancer, a dancer gets shown moves and then they can put those moves together. A martial artist, same thing, you can learn strikes, but if you put it together in a certain way, you may be the only person on the planet that does it. Mm. And it's just, it all comes down to movement. Like I love mixing up primal movement with calisthenics um, and standing up going into martial arts and stuff and just seeing how I feel. And then you add the element of music, put headphones on and see how music changes how your body moves. And, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. I just – I'm continually trying to see um, how I can move my body in new ways. I wish I was at it like day in, day out, and that's when you get – some people go, wow, you're amazing. But I still look at guys that are like, oh, my God, I'll never get there. Mm. I'll never get there. But I realise there's people looking at me probably in the same way. It's me, bro. Yep. Yeah. So I'm trying to help people say, yeah, just start. Just hands and knees. Mm. Just move from here like a crawl to a squat. And so many people in their you know, middle age years are losing those positions. They drop their car keys, they bend over at the hip to get them. They don't squat down. And that's this is all still investment in my future self. I want to be 80 years old rolling around with my grandkids, my kids' kids. Longevity. Mm. Mm. You know, oil the joints, figure out a way to stay mobile. And I think that'll lead to a, ultimately a better quality of life. You know, I, I still drive past this place. It kind of annoys me, but it's it's uh it's called Advanced Mobility, but it's a shop that sells those mobility scooters. And it's kind of like the opposite of yeah. Advanced Mobility. It's telling you to sit down and do as little as you poss possibly can to get around. Don't move your body. Pull this lever and we'll do the moving for you. Remember that movie Wally, The robot? Yeah. Wally. And at the end, and oh, you see the spaceship and the whole human race is out there and yeah, they're all floating right. around. Like they get the robots to deliver the, the milkshakes and all that stuff. It's kind of it's like 
we're losing touch with our bodies or getting out of tune with our bodies. So for me, movement training has been a massive way to see those signs. When I sit on the couch at home, I know as soon as I sit on that couch, I'm gonna, my body's going to go, yep, shit, we're staying here. But if I sit on the floor, I'm going to move. I'm going to move around. Because that reclines thing that's made for you to lay back, chill. But if I sit on the floor, I've got to get my posture up or I can start moving while I'm on the floor. So there's just your environment is a massive part of movement training. And then you get outside on the grass and that's, you know, you start exploring nature as well. Climbing trees, feeling the sun. When we did that first workshop, you know, that like boot camp style workshop where we did all the animal movements, that was new for me. And then coming into doing that two-on-one session, that first one we did, Zane and I, mm. just the simple exercise that we started with, man, like loosened up my hips so much. He said, go get a drink. I moved to go get a drink and I felt like I was flying. Like my hips <laughs> we were running. felt we ran. so <laughs> lubricated. And it just, you know, showed me how much I'd been negligent towards my body. And I knew it's time, I knew it was time to start really investing into the longevity of myself and in all aspects, not just one thing or another. Um, being a competitive bodybuilder for three years and, and been in the gym for 15 ish, uh, really constricted the movements that I had within my joints. Yep. And I've found, you know, over the last few sessions, lengthening my arms you know, getting more movement through my legs it's, it's still very small but there's work to be done there mm. you can't expect to just yep. flick of a switch yep. be able to move so so quickly just like the bodybuilding but one thing that that really interests me is for us you know when we when we work with people we talk about learning how to connect into the body and seeing what's going on uh, emotionally or what they're running away from or feeling whatever feeling it is but it works in a lot of different areas you know you're seeing what's working in the body in a whole different realm of things and if we can bring those all through into one type of practice Mm. man our body is literally telling us everything we need to know yeah the deeper we can connect into it the more that we get to know ourselves, really. The answers are there. Mm. Yeah. I love what you just said there, bro, because, yeah, like you got us to f- explore positions that we got feedback from our body. That's it, bro. And I was like, fuck, I'm having a full-on conversation with my body. That's and I've been, I've been having a conversation with my body for um, the last three months, like real deeply, you know, with the, with the stretching and, and all of that. Mm. But, like, this was, like, even more, you know. Um, motor patterns, everything, yes, man. Bro. Just asking, like asking more questions, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I was like, "Bro, this is insane!" Like my, I was lit up after that, and That's so cool. My body was swearing at me. My conversation <laughs> was like, "How dare you neglect me for this long?" That's it, bro. You are going to suffer for the amount of abuse you've done to me. But I'm glad you're here. It's exactly what it is, bro. Like when you pull on a, a muscle. There's nerves attached to that muscle that string into your nervous system and stretch receptors that say, uh, we don't go here. We don't go here, bro. <laughs> you never go here. What the hell are you doing here? And your nervous system goes, uh, we gotta, we got to clean up an R5, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is so wrong. And then you've just got to keep going back to that conversation 
you're going, oh, we're here again. And then you use breath work for things like that. And like even this morning had a client, I'm showing him a certain stretch and he's there going, oh, Jesus, sorry. And I'm like, bro, you are not open to the conversation here. This is so forceful. Can you feel the resistance? Yep. Just take one breath in. Exhale. And we're tapping into that, that exhale, which is the nervous system going, we're breathing out, we better relax. Relax my diaphragm, hopefully the rest of the body, body follows. And then whenever that resistance comes up in a stretch or any sort of movement, see what your thoughts are or your nervous system. And if you can even train it, like I tell people, think of your nervous system as like a, a overbearing mother. So when it's in there going, oh, Jesus, blah, 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 it's almost like it's telling you off for going here. But if you can train the brain to go, it's okay. We're supposed to be here. Our bodies were made to go here. We just, we're just visiting this position. We want to go here again. This is just the drop in the ocean of flexibility. Mm. All this, you can make those sounds with your brain and talk to your muscles or your nervous system in that way. Like yoga. Yoga, nothing beats it to connect to your breath, to find a stretch, find as the beautiful Derby from EMF puts it, find comfort in the discomfort, right? Ouch, this hurts. Ouch, ouch, ouch is not finding comfort in the discomfort. So learning to use the breath as a tool to go, yes, it's tight, but I'm here, I'm here. And talking to yourself like that. That's what I do. I'm in a stretch and I'm like, man, that's tight. So it's okay to let go. It's okay. That's those little words like a mother would say to its child. Yeah. But it's funny you say that. I do that too. When I'm in my stretches, awesome, I'm like, it's okay. It's all good because I feel the, I want to run. I want to get out of here. And I just do the, it's all good. You're okay. Just relax into it. That's it. And bro, deeper and deeper and deeper. Longer the holds get, you know. I pretty much just fully in my body, bro. You know, when, good, I, bro. when I go to that state. If we can do that on a daily basis, eh, our bodies are going to thank us. Mm. In our later years, I've got to go to the toilet. Welcome, <laughs> <All good> bro. <laughs> That's a good pause to say, Faripaku. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're talking about movement and the relationship that we are building with our body with stretching, for example, and many other different. Um, I guess relationships that we have with our body. Uh-huh. It's it's fascinating me really. The more I've started to learn, you know, we go down this aisle. There's all this thing. There's you know the self love aisle. Then you go through the forgiveness aisle. Then you go through oh wait, there's there's stuff in the body, the muscles, the tightness in the body. There's this aisle. Um, then there's the past trauma or whatever it is. There's a, the generational stuff, and then um, what I'm really fascinated again with is, is how it all combines together. There's some type of stretching we did the other day that brings the trauma up. I guess it's all, a lot of it is working through trauma, but there's one that you took me through the other day which blew my mind. Um, I'll, I'll let you go into that. You, you took me through the stretch and it was through the puku, through your belly, and that was that was different. I'd never experienced anything like that. Mm. There was a whole different conversation I'd experience within my body yeah the, the poo manoa um that was the trigger release yeah so that that there's a trigger release is pushing into a muscle 
Um, there's a few sort of things about it to 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 cut off blood circulation, and then with the release, a massive rush of blood comes through. Um, to see the tension level of that muscle, that your nerves are going, ouch, this hurts because we never put this much pressure on a muscle, uh, outside pressure. Um, another reason too is to actually, uh, l- in a way, lengthen it. If you can think of a straight line, so if I stretch and I've got a straight line of a muscle fibre here, to push into it is actually elongating it. Right? So we're adding asking for more sort of flexibility on that muscle tissue or tendon tissue, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're talking about the trigger release in the muscle called the iliopsoas. I'm going to sound heaps intelligent now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the iliopsoas. So that is a muscle that attaches in the middle of the back. It's got four attachment points. So it hooks onto four vertebrae. Hope I'm right here. Uh, then passes through the belly. You've got one on the left, one on the right, and they go down to each thigh bone, top of the thighs, right? So it's the one of the main muscles that joins the, the lower body to the upper body, one of the hip flexors. Um, and in yoga, they call it the muscle of the soul. So this is a highly um, emotional muscle that when you go in there, that there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that you've, you know, you're constantly thinking thoughts and that muscle can contract to close you off from the world because it's pulling your rib cage down or your posture down, which then leads to chin down and that type of thing. And to go in there and massage that, you've got to kind of push through intestines and abdominal muscles as well. It's pretty deep. But, um, yeah, tapping into it, definitely don't do it if you're pregnant or think you're pregnant. Um just be aware that uh, there's a lot of tension in there. And I was kind of shown it by a masseuse lady I used to have. She was amazing. She was kind of like relentless, like lay me down on the table, ask me some questions, and then would dive straight in with her fingertips into there. Like, oh, we're going there straight away. Are we cool? And uh, you kind of see that this muscle, even just pushing on it is like, <gasps> you're losing your breath. Like, what is going on down there for me to be so almost – shocked that someone just put some pressure on it um so what we did was laid you across a bar metal bar that was only a few or a couple hundred mil off the floor and and you laid the belly of that muscle across that bar and we pushed into it and let your body weight sort of go down onto it yeah and then your base widened out so your knees went back your forearms went forward which meant more pressure going on that bar and then you start tapping into emotion that you're walking around with that's held in a physical form and myofascia is a massive part of that that's weaved around the muscles through the muscles through tendons um that you're starting to tap into that and asking for it to be flexible when for 30 years it's probably been rigid because of how you think and who you are um yeah to stretch it is one thing but to actually trigger release and have someone push on it is very tough and you've got to keep a certain intensity level because it's just like anything you can go in hard and you won't last as long or you sort of take it easy and and let time help with letting go of that stuff so as you probably felt after that we probably spent two minutes maybe there you can keep longer as long as you can handle the intensity that there's a change in brain chemistry there's a gush of heat which is blood flying down through the hips 
when the hips are feeling loose, there's a massive mentality change. If I'm loose in the hips, I can't help but feel better. Uh, this is where yoga is amazing as well. Um, and to have that length through the midsection means my feet can be firmly planted and I can open my hips and lift my rib cage, lift my chin, and my whole outlook to the world has changed. So if ever there's a muscle that I want completely release, it's the iliopsoas. And like you guys listen to Joe Dispenza, and probably the most important thing I've ever heard Joe Dispenza say is the body is the subconscious. Mm. So thoughts that you can think, yep, they're up the front lobe here, but everything that's deep inside here that's from childhood or whatever of how you perceive the world, it's not just in the brain, the body's connected to that. So if I'm relaxed and calm, supple, feeling flexible, my body should reflect that. If things are, if I'm troubled, the body can reflect that. And sometimes you've got to use massage or stretching, or yoga or whatever method to get into those things to move things along instead of them just holding on to stuff that doesn't serve you. So, yeah, trigger release, foam rolling, stretching, movement. It's kind of like there's, there's so many different ways to tap into those things. And um, I guess for me to sort of do that stuff through CrossFit, I learned a lot of trigger release. You learn it with foam rolling and then you go into harder things that that really did um, open my eyes up to mobility. And then the movement stuff just sort of changed the connection I have with my body. It's like we're here to play, we're playing, I'm moving, I'm playing, but I'm not um, chasing a rep scheme or anything. That you can, your mindset is dependent on your body and what state it's in. It's a big part of it. So year pro, trigger release on the iliopsoas. <laughs> it's quite a euphoric feeling too once the yeah. blood starts to come back through, the warmth that starts to come in from your belly and as you start to release that tension, it's just this big rush and a sigh of relief. Mm. Mm. And I often ask the people that when they come out of there, and they stand up to see where's your um, line of vision. So typically it'll be eye level, the chin might be slightly down and we're talking to people, but I instantly see a rib cage lifted and a chin up and they're looking slightly higher. So where are you looking? Whereabouts are you looking sort of up towards the ceiling? It's like, yeah, cool. All that from a few minutes of pressing into your psoas has lifted your rib cage. Because we're constantly looking down, man, and phones are making that stuff worse. It's asking our psoas to be short. We sit in a car or sit at a desk, asking it to be short. So, yeah, movement. That's why movement is such a massive thing. It's your mentality as well. This conversation is just making me realise how lazy we have become as a race. Like how yep. disconnected from ourselves and how uh, we've changed our lifestyle to be more... Um, convenient for Absolutely. us, which is huge. You know, yeah. I'm looking at my couch thinking, why did I buy a couch for? Why have <laughs> I got these chairs for? We should well, be doing this on the floor, sitting down. There you go, bro. Um, Katie Bowman, so she, she's got a podcast, and I was listening to that. She was a massive influence on me uh, when I was at the Maritimo thing. And, yeah, she was a biomechanist, so she studied how humans and animals move. 
and how to fix their tissue structures and that type of thing. And she was just fascinating. And she was the first one I heard that says, yeah, we don't have any chairs or couches at home. We sit on the floor. We get up and down. Just, and I'm like, wow, that sounds real primitive, but I see the point that every time you sit on a couch, it's made to be soft and mushy and conform to a shape that ideally you don't want your body to be in. This nice rounded shape where everything's closed off, rib cage comes in, shoulders go forward, chin sinks down, and it's like, ah, yes, I can turn off. But after doing that an hour or two hours every night for your adult life, when you're 70 or 80, that's now your rest position. Wow. So if you rest in a deep squat, when you're 80, you're going to be um, in a far better place, I think, with quality of life. This is where like mobility scooters and things, yeah, I see they have a purpose, but is it? A, I think it needs to be a last resort. Can you walk? Can you walk upright? Mm. Can you walk faster? How, what are you thinking when you thought about uh, thinking when you walk there's just yeah there's so much going on it's just a different conversation that we need to be having with our body i feel like ido portal who's like this guru of movement <laughs> <laughs> i really am just uh just with a few years of listening to these guys ido portal ryan hurst from gmb fitness katie bowman who's a biomechanist just you see the conversations are out there about movement moving the body giving it the, the conversation that it needs and then there's food water environment nature all this stuff um but yeah i'm just trying to do the best i can man i sit on my recliner recliner i pop that switch on the side and i'm, <laughs> I'm like your average bro yeah netflix time but i think i'm just lucky i've got a awareness of i know when i sit in that chair i'm probably not going to get up in a hurry um and try to have some sort of movement. And that's another thing, the PT uh, journey has put me in an environment where I have to be moving all the time. It's another thing, environment plays a massive key in, in your general health. Yep, absolutely. Mm. It's like it's interesting because worked, I've worked in an office for, I don't know, how long has it been now? Eight years? So I sit at a computer mm. all day, even now I'm, Sit at my computer most of the I bloody was day. That. So, are you still are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's why, like, I'm always getting up and stretching. Like, I stretch like three Good. times a day, man. Good, you know, because of that. And then when my daughter comes home, I sit on the floor with her and sit on the couch. Awesome. Yeah, because because that, like, as soon as I sit on the couch, yeah, I just switch off. You know, um, and my body's still got a long way to go. But I really noticed, like, doing powerlifting. And being like that tight in the hips, like just, I didn't make the connection between like, like I would stretch to a point to be able to squat, <laughs> deadlift or bench press, like mm -hmm. literally a sh really stupid way of thinking, you know, I just was like, all I care about is lifting as heavy as I can. That number. Yeah, that number. It was a competition, right? But in that time, I was destroying my shoulders from, like, I had no external rotation <laughs> in my shoulders, um, which was flaring up my biceps, was flaring up a whole lot of stuff, my upper back, everything. 
my hips were super tight, you know. Plus, I just go and sit down at a desk all day, you know, yeah. for most of the day, and do barely any, you know. Yeah, because you're so sore and tight. Yeah, exactly. He's training for that. Yeah, and I thought, oh, my recovery was going to jump in the ice bath, <laughs> you know, which gave me comfort. Yeah. Um, and it, it helped, but it wasn't. It was like a plaster to just get back on the bike on Monday and smash myself. And I'd done that for years, you know. Oh, I feel the same with CrossFit. Yeah. It's just um, bash, bash, bash. And I mean, it's it's not really CrossFit's, I shouldn't say CrossFit's yeah. fault, but you've got to learn the other side to recover just as intensely. Yeah. Sleep. Sleep is huge. It helps the brain sort out all the stuff from the day to detoxify all the thoughts and stuff you've learned through the day, get rid of what you don't need. Once that's done, the central nervous system can relax. We're feeling good after a good night's sleep. Then the body might relax. And then you're in a better state to stretch and prepare for a, another big workout. If you can get that cycle of train hard, recover hard, and that's a massive game changer. Where, you know, I was doing five workouts a week. And unless you're on the floor in a sweaty mess, it wasn't a workout, which was just... Uh, that led to my injury in my spine. Mm. I feel like there's such a big uh, lack of information when it comes into fitness as as a whole. You know, there's so many different conversations. There's so many different ways you can go with with whatever journey it is that you want. But I think the main thing that's standing out for me now is that recovery is. And look, I know this, and I just neglected it. Recovery is huge. But recovery means stretching. Recovery means mobility because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for problems down down the track. You know, I, I can reference this back when I was prepping for the Arnold's in, in USA. I, I had a shoulder injury and I got a cortisol shot mm. in my shoulder and I was given all these stretches to do and I didn't do it. Actually, I think I did it once or twice. And I didn't feel any pain in it anymore. Carried on training. What happens 12 weeks, 14, 15 weeks later, once that, ma- that mask is gone, shoulders never been the same. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the band-aid on the problem, not the, the root cause. But, yeah, all that stuff, I mean, all that training is awesome. you just got to really specify your goals. If you're going out to win a powerlifting competition or you want to lift that off the ground then that's how you train um and that's when i think after my injury i was like man what am i training for why am i smashing myself i'm a fit dad but my kids don't care how much i deadlift (laughs) they don't care if i can do an overhead squat and that's where primal movement was man you're playing and then that's when the kids jumped in and i'm like oh there's something here I can use this for play with my kids. I can use it for exercise. I'm using it for mobility. Well, that's three pretty good reasons to keep going with it, and that's why I sort of keep it as my main form of as exercise. Mm. I love it. It just makes sense. Yeah. It's establish your goals and then figure out the best ways to get towards them. Yeah. I couldn't – I know for me, like, I couldn't um, – bro, I couldn't switch that competing off – me yeah like i was like fuck all that other rubbish like to be convinced the things i do now <laughs> fuck all that shit and that was just the mindset i was in you know 
but I couldn't see the bigger picture, bro. Like, I couldn't see that I was destroying my body. I couldn't see that, um, like, the way I'm eating, moving my entire life. I'm not going to be here for very long. And if I'm not going to be here for very long, then all of this is pointless. <laughs> you know, I just was blinded by this tunnel vision. And I know a lot of people are, you know. And it's not the sports problem. It's like a, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a mentality thing within the sport. Yeah, the know. ego. The ego, yeah. I'm supposed to look like this or be this, this thing. Yeah. I was there, I was the CrossFit guy in the mines. Comes yep. Nugent, he's the CrossFit guy. So he did CrossFit. But um, yeah, if you can do, like you say, what's important to me? Uh, my health, my family. Can I do something that works towards those things? And, man, if powerlifting does, then you do it. Whatever competition or sport, as long as it's um, hopefully giving you a better value of, uh, what's the word, of your body, like appreciating it and not just smashing it and forcing it into some stuff, which I think a lot of high-intensity sports do, having some form of like man thank you for letting me do this body and appreciating it that's the word appreciating but realizing yeah these are our vehicles from the cradle to the grave mm. so longevity if you can put that in your workout somehow or your exercise regime i think you'll be better off um, as a, a senior citizen and still being happy with how you carry yourself through space. Yeah. Mm. Which again, I believe comes down to parenting again and helping us uh, yep. program our children with better belief systems so that they can think in this amount of time, not right now. What do I want to look like right now? Exactly. Uh, before we wrap it up, I've, I've got to ask you, man, your son's name's Jackson? Sure is. Your daughter's name's Billie Jean. <laughs> it seems like there's a bit of a, a, a trend happening here. What would the third one be called? Man, what would the third one be? Jermaine or Janet? <laughs> <laughs> What's the relationship there, bro? Oh, yeah. We'll wrap so, it up with that. Yeah, well, most of my friends know I'm, a, uh, you know, been a big fan of MJ and Janet and the Jackson family. And I, th- I, I still remember this uh, moment when I was eight years old. Um, in Palmas, the North, Big Brother's um, taking me down to his best mate's plate a few, few houses down. And they're playing table tennis. This is 1979, seven, seven or eight, whatever. And uh, I hear um, this music playing in the lounge, and I go in there, and this is the old record players with the big speakers, the old 70 systems. And I see uh, Michael Jackson off the wall, the album cover there. So I sit down next to it, and it's I just I hear the music of and I'm like, oh, man, this is cool. So I sit down, and then he starts singing. I'm pretty sure it was Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And I'm reading the lyrics, and I'm like, oh, man. This sounds awesome, plus I can read what he's saying. And obviously I heard it somewhere else before, so I'm like, this is the guy, this is the guy, and I'm sitting here. And I sat there, I remember, for most of the album, just reading the lyrics, reading the credits of the musicians. Brother would be like, you're right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just sitting here. I didn't really notice until later on when I, I think I picked up the bass guitar that I was locking into the rhythm, the bass and the drums. And um, that was my first exposure, I think, to, to MJ. And then four years later, Thriller came out. I'm 12, so I'm a teenager. 
biggest singer on the planet is Michael Jackson and Thriller. And I just got lost in the dance videos. And that was it, man. I was trying to emulate MJ's movements because it was the music, the dance. It was just like, that consumed me. So every time there was a video on, I'd video record it. And when mum and dad were out of the house, I'd play it. I'm trying to suss out all the moves for Beat It and Thriller and Billie Jean. And yeah, it just carried on, man, that I was just hardcore MJ. Quincy Jones as his producer, just they were a powerhouse. And um, I just remember so many moments of just complete self-expression where you don't care about the whole room. I'm, I'm in the middle of a dance floor at a nightclub doing MJ and like, a hundred people are around me watching me like he's actually pretty good man <laughs> and i was in the zone man just feeling it and um carried on and on and for me when my son was born and it was kind of umming and ahhing about the name and i just said that when you talk uh, talk about the music of mj that it takes me back to that eight-year-old boy that sat at the record player and went this is awesome and then I sort of gave the name Jackson to my boy. I changed it to J-A-X-O-N just to give it a twist. But it was like, here's a, a baby, he's come along. And my reference to him is something I remember from being a child of when I really felt like, look at me, world, I dance like Michael Jackson, this is me. Um, and to give that name to my son was like really appropriate. So that was kind of my nod to MJ and his music. And then as for my daughter, I didn't actually pick her name. My wife did. Um, her mum's name is Jean. So even when she was in utero and she was in my wife's belly still, she started calling her Billy Jean to incorporate her mum's name. <laughs> and I was like, well, I picked Jackson's name. You can choose whatever you like. So, um, yeah, after my daughter was born, it was like, oh, we've been calling you Billy Jean for three months now while you've been in utero. Your name's Billie Jean, and it's just so cool to have her. Um, she's just the firecracker redhead, and she keeps me on my toes, and I just see with girls so demanding of the father. Dad, dad, this, come here, please, do this. And it's like, man, boys are way easier. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's it's beautiful. If I, I constantly look back and think if I was a 10-year-old MJ Michael Jackson fan, that you'd think in 40 years you're going to have a kid called Jackson and another one called Billie Jean. It's like, man, that's pretty cool. Mm. So that's my nod to the Jackson family and their music, which was a massive part of me growing up. Yeah. Love my MJ, love my Janet. I've still got a 40-year-old crush on Janet. Don't tell the wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Music's always a big influence, eh? You never know what it's going to be, you know? Um yeah, yours was Michael Jackson. Mine was like, during my teenage years, mine was like, you know, hip-hop. Yeah. Tupac, yep. Biggie, all of that. Where I lived, it just, it made sense. It was like, they get me. Yeah. You know? And that was the mind state I was in. So, yeah, it's cool listening to you to talk about um, your inspiration and your expression around Michael Jackson, bro. Because, yeah, I think we can all understand that. Oh, bro. At any point in time, you know, whatever the times are. The vibration of music just, you know, it's amazing how a memory can just flood your brain from a song. Yeah. What's that about? Something I may not even think of for years. Mm. Hear a song, 
1987, September, Bad gets released. That's a good year. <laughs> like, tell me about it. It was the year of Bad, and I was like, it's at the year high I was school. born, bro. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I was doing MJ moves at school while you were being born. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I love music. Played drums, bass, and it's just a good escape. Yeah, man. Massive escape. And then, like, I add that with my movement stuff, and it's almost, I get into almost contemporary dance, <laughs> rolling around on the floor. But, um, yeah, bro. Yeah. Got to have music in your life. Yep. You still jam? Uh, I feel like I put my bass down when my kids were born eight years ago. Uh, no, not on a regular basis, but yeah, yeah, I got pretty pretty deep into the bass, like sitting there, realizing that I learned drums at school at sixteen. That I pretty much had natural rhythm. There was always a good sense of a metronome in my head that I could keep that beat on the drums and then I've moved into turntables and did some DJ stuff in the nineties. Same thing. You could take those drum rudiments or techniques onto the turntables. And then when I found the bass, I was living with two bros and they played guitar and I'm like, well, if we're going to start a band, which was the dream, I'd better get a bass. And I kind of thought of it. Oh, all they do is go boom, 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 boom. So I'll get a bass pretty easy. But then I found slap bass and like, <laughs> Oh my god, funk, you know, uh, Bootsy Collins, Flea from Chili Peppers. And you could take all this drum stuff, like the bass pedal and the kick, and take that to the bass guitar that your slap, bomp, bomp, was the bass pedal. Mm. And your pop, bang, bang, was the snare. So that was it. And I'm like, oh, well, I can get funky on this bass guitar. Okay, so yeah, slap bass and funk, all the R&B stuff. It was like a great way. The thing I missed with drums was the tonality. You couldn't, when I say that, I shouldn't say you couldn't, but it's hard to play a melody on drums, even though you can tune drums to certain keys. But once you've got those strings or whatever in your fingers, you can get melodic scales and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'll pick it up one day. Yep. Maybe when the kids have moved out and I'll start my family band. <laughs> the Partridge family, that's the dream. <laughs> I lived on my guitar when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah. In my dark room every night. Or I literally, everyone knew me. I just had a guitar in school. Bro. On my back all the time. I lived on my guitar. And then, like you, my mate was like a better guitarist than me. <laughs> and my other mate could drum. So I was like, well, I'm going to pick up the bass. So I picked up the bass, and Gee, that's yeah. how we formed our little three-piece band. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I play bass as well. Oh, wicked. Mm. Who's your influences? Um, well, Flea from Chili Peppers. Yeah. He was one of them. And there's a guy, I forgot his name. Um, I forgot his bloody name. Uh, Lewis Johnson. Nah, he does like a, a, he almost does like a Christian, I think he does Amazing Grace on the, on the bass guitar. Oh, Victor, Victor Wooten. Wooten. That's yes, it. Right. Yeah. Funny you mention his name. <laughs> He's a bass guru. Yeah. Have you heard his piece called, um, oh, what's it called? Sl classical Thump? Yeah. No, I, have, I haven't oh. heard. I like. So he's got a piece it, called Classical Thump. And yeah. I, I bought my son a guitar and my guitar's up in his bedroom. And every night I play the opening to that classical thump. 
So my kids, my son and my daughter know that tune inside out. Because every night, and that's a great way to look at practicing guitar, is put it in your kids and just do five minutes every night when you're sitting next to them, mm. putting them to bed. And that's that, I don't know if you've heard of Atomic Habits. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. setting up things that are in your environment, if you just pick them up. If it's in the cupboard, like my base, I'll never pick it up. But if it's just lying there, even in the hallway, I'm yeah. probably going to pick it up. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sort of jamming on the guitar, but treating it like a bass. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. I'd love to go down that path. We'll see what happens. Get yeah. his personal trainer career sorted, and we might turn into a rock star yet. <laughs> yeah. we'll oh, there's still plenty of time left, bro. Bro, always. When I hear of Colonel Sanders and KFC... Didn't he start that when he was in his 50s? Mm. There you go. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. Sure, man, man of movement. That was awesome. Man of movement in many ways, you know, feeling movement in the body. Yeah. Feeling movement through rhythm. Oh, yeah. Can't uh, stop that. Dance is a massive way to send a different signal to the body and brain to dance with your kids, people. Yeah. In many ways, uh, it's given me a nice, pleasant reminder, and I hope for those who are, are listening to connect further into their own movement within their body. And I mean that in in many ways. Mm. So, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome, bro. Thank you for coming on. Bro, thanks for having me. Like I said, love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready for part two. <laughs> uh, cheers, brothers. Thank sure, you, brother. Bro. Thank you for listening to the Express Yourself podcast with Zay Masters and Andy Archie. If you'd like to leave us some feedback, please leave us a review. All contact details will be added in the description. And in the meantime, don't forget to... Express yourself.